Hello everyone. It is Sunday, May 29th here in the Philippines, and my name is Tom Coons. Welcome to episode 18 of my Snutcast. Today I want to talk about holiness. So with that, let's get started. On the night of December 29, 1876, one of the worst railroad disasters in American history occurred. The Pacific Express, an 11-car, two-engine train, was traveling west through Ohio during a heavy snowstorm. Among the passengers were Philip Bliss and his wife, Lucy. Philip was a Christian songwriter and singer. He and Lucy had been married for 17 years. About 7.30 p.m. while crossing a trestle bridge over the Ashtabula River, the bridge collapsed, sending the 11 cars 75 feet into the river below. As the water pressed up from the broken ice, the wooden cars, heated by kerosene stoves, ignited. According to an eyewitness, as reported in the Chicago Tribune the next day, when the train fell, Mr. Bliss freed himself and succeeded in crawling through a window. He turned around to pull his wife free, but found she was pinned in the ironwork of the seats. Rather than escape himself, he stayed with Lucy, continuing to try and free her before they were both engulfed and consumed in the flames. Ninety other people also perished that night. Three of Philip Bliss's hymns are in our LDS hymnal. I will mention just one of them. It is hymn number 131. More holiness give me. You know the words. More holiness give me. More strivings within. More patience in suffering. More sorrow for sin. More faith in my Savior. More sense of his care. More joy in his service. More purpose in prayer. More gratitude give me. More trust in the Lord. More zeal for his glory, more hope in his word. More tears for his sorrows, more pain at his grief. More meekness in trial, more praise for relief. More purity give me, more strength to o'ercome. More freedom from earth stains, more longings for home. More fit for the kingdom, more useful I'd be. More blessed and holy more Savior, like Thee. It is evident to me that Philip Bliss lived these words in the moment during the greatest test of his life. Let me shift gears for a moment. This past week, our ward here in the Philippines, the Makati 4th Ward, had a temple day. This is something we have been working on in the ward for several months. I was responsible for overseeing and managing the details of the day. I had worried a lot about how things might go. I mean, would we have enough people show up? Would there be room in the temple for us that day? Would people be disappointed if sessions they wanted to attend would be full? Would people be able to bring their own names? The list of things I worried about seemed endless. About four weeks ago, Bishop Hill announced that a couple in our ward, Eric and Rona, would be sealed that day. Then later, we learned that two other sisters in the ward, Wilma and Lynn, would receive their own endowments the same day. The interest in the event was growing as members of the ward rallied around these four wonderful saints. Well, to make a long story short, the day was simply amazing. 
We had 57 members of our ward attend, along with five or six more who were friends of those going through the temple for the first time. Some in attendance had not been to the temple in several years. It was a marvelous experience. Of special importance to Ladon and me were the family names of 20 couples and numerous children that we had found and brought to the temple that day to be sealed. In fact, we ended up participating in three different sealing sessions for our own family as well as other members of the ward. The spirit was powerful, and my feelings were tender. And though we have been going to the temple nearly every week here in Manila, this is the first time we have done sealings. The Spirit testified to me of the ultimate importance of this crowning temple ordinance. I think I had forgotten just how important it was to these families to complete their ordinances by sealed, by being sealed as forever families through priesthood power. It was simply an amazing experience. Needless to say, my worries weren't founded. It was as if once we arrived at the temple, everything went perfectly. We could not have asked for a more perfect day. We arrived at the temple at 6.30 a.m. that morning, and as we left the temple that night at 9 p.m. after a baptismal session with the youth, I had such gratitude in my heart for the influence the temple had had on me that day, for the influence that the temple has had on me every single time I am there. So with this event fresh on my mind, couched in the story of Philip Bliss, I want to talk to you about holiness in our lives. President Faust explained that holiness, in part, is achieved by conforming to God's will. Elder Quentin L. Cook taught, quote, Holiness is exemplified by consecration and sacrifice, unquote. Elder Ballard said, quote, We seek to have our lives sanctified, purified, and cleansed to the point where we can be found worthy to walk into the presence of our heavenly parents and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, unquote. This last statement is reinforced in Hebrews 12.24 where it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That would mean neither in this life nor in the life to come. Elder Russell M. Nelson said that we can acquire holiness only by enduring and persistent personal effort. We learn from 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 10, that at the day of judgment, we will be judged based on the truth and holiness which is in Christ. I take that to mean that we will be then judged by the holiness and truth that is within us. I think the world would probably say that holiness is boring, but I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Here's what he said. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. In 2 Nephi 8.10, here he's quoting Isaiah chapter 51, it says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy and holiness shall be upon their heads. Thus, we can see a connection between joy and holiness. So from these statements we learn several things about holiness. One, to become holy, we must willingly do the Father's will and be able to lay our will aside. Two, we need to sacrifice our time and resources and consecrate our lives to the building of the Lord's kingdom here on earth. Three, we must be on the path of sanctification, repenting of our sins as we go, even until our natures change and sin is no longer appealing. Four, we acquire holiness through enduring and persistence. 
Five, in the final judgment, the degree of holiness in our lives will be an important criteria. Six, holiness brings joy to our lives. And seven, holiness is irresistible. Well, given then the importance associated with blessings of holiness, I want to briefly touch on three things I have found that can help lead to holiness. These three are reading the scriptures, attending the temple, and as a result of both of these things, accessing the more the enabling power of the atonement. First, the importance of the scriptures in our quest for holiness. Doctrine and Covenants, section 43, verse 9 says, And thus ye shall become instructed in the law of my church, and be sanctified by that which ye have received, and ye shall bind yourselves to act in all holiness before me. We need to understand the doctrine, ordinances, laws, and then act on that knowledge, which in turn enables us to be sanctified. It is then incumbent upon us to bind ourselves to act in all holiness before him. And isn't it interesting that it doesn't say we need to bind ourselves to act in all holiness before the world or before the saints or even before our family. I think this means that we especially need to be think, uh, thoughtful in terms of what we think and what we do when no one else is watching. Perhaps that is the best test of holiness after all. This concept is reinforced in Doctrine and Covenants section 20, verse 69, where it essentially says as to walk in holiness before the Lord, we must have faith and works agreeable to the scriptures. I mean, how will we have this faith and works if we do not know the scriptures? This is also consistent with Elder Packer's oft-repeated phrase that true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. You see, this applies in our personal lives as well. If we want to become more like the Savior, we need to know the doctrines. And where better to learn the doctrines than from the scriptures? Therefore, the scriptures are a source of the knowledge of the doctrines that will change our behaviors. In the lectures on faith, we learn that faith is dependent upon knowledge. And the more knowledge, the more faith. I'll come back to this in just a moment. The second Second, the role of the temple in our quest for holiness. In the great dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple revealed to the prophet Joseph and recorded in Doctrine and Covenants section 109, the Lord said this, And now, Holy Father, we ask thee to assist us, thy people, with thy grace that thy glory may rest down upon thy people and upon this house which we now dedicate to thee, that it may be sanctified and consecrated to be holy, and that thy holy presence may be continually in this house, and that all people who shall enter upon the threshold of the Lord's house may feel thy power, and feel constrained to acknowledge that thou hast sanctified it, and it is thy, that it is thy house, a place of thy holiness. President Howard W. Hunter, sustained in 1994 as prophet, called on the members of the church to make the temple the great symbol of our membership. He said, quote, When I contemplate the temple, I think of these words. The temple is a place of instruction where profound truths pertaining to the kingdom of God are unfolded. It is a place of peace where minds can be centered upon things of the Spirit and the worries of the world can be laid aside. In the temple, we take covenants to obey the laws of God and promises are made to us, conditioned always on our faithfulness, which extend into eternity. End quote. 
John A. Witzow said that temple work gives a wonderful opportunity for keeping alive our spiritual knowledge and strength. The mighty perspective of eternity is unraveled before us in the holy temples. We see from its infinite beginning to its endless end, and the drama of eternal life is unfolded before us. Then I see more clearly my place amidst the things of the universe, my place among the purposes of God. I am better able to place myself where I belong, and I am better able to value and to weigh, to separate and to organize the common, ordinary duties of my life, so that the little things shall not oppress me or take away my vision of the greater things that God has given to us. Elder Widsow said that, by the way, in conference in 1922. Well, my own experience is that regular and frequent worship sanctifies us and brings holiness into our lives. I speak about this often in, in my Znutcast. You see, I have felt this in my own life, and I have certainly seen it in the life of my own sweet wife. As you know, the words holiness to the Lord is written above the east door of the Salt Lake Temple. Perhaps it could also say holiness to man, meaning holiness comes to those who enter. I want to pause for a moment and reflect on both the power of the scriptures and the temple. In 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 20, it says, Oh, how great the holiness of our God! For he knoweth all things, and there is not anything save he knows it. Here we learn that holiness of our God originates in his knowledge of all things. Where can we learn all things? I suggest that collectively the scriptures and the temple are two unbeatable combinations. I would also suggest that through the scriptures and the temple, we invite an increased influence of the Holy Ghost into our lives, which in and of itself brings added holiness. In fact, the more influence the Holy Ghost has on us, the more holy we will become. Okay, I now want to talk about how we can leverage these first two concepts of the scriptures and the temple and speak a little bit about the atonement. Elder Bruce D. Hafen has said, quote, the atonement in some way, apparently through the Holy Ghost, makes possible the infusion of spiritual endowments that actually change and purify our nature, moving us toward that state of holiness or completeness we call eternal life or godlike life. At that ultimate stage, we will exhibit divine characteristics, not just because we think we should, but because that is who we are. Unquote. Elder Bednar talks about two aspects of the power of the atonement. The redeeming power, probably the area that we're most familiar with, that's, which, that, that's what is associated with forgiveness of sins, and the enabling power, that which gives us the strength to change our circumstances, and probably an area that we're less familiar with as Latter-day Saints. The best example of this is the people of Alma is recorded in Mosiah 24:14 in the land of Helam being strengthened by this enabling power so that they could not feel the burdens upon their backs. Do you think this had an impact on them in terms of having more holiness in their lives? We don't really know what happened to these people individually, but we do know that so great was their faith and their patience that the voice of the Lord came unto them again saying, Be of good comfort for on the morrow I will deliver you out of bondage. Is not this what we all seek, to be delivered from all different kinds of bondage? In Mosiah 3.19, we have further evidence of how both the redeeming and the enabling power of the atonement helps us along our journey. 
For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Father seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. We need to tap into the enabling power of the atonement so that we have the power to change our own circumstances rather than pray that miraculously the Lord will change our circumstances without any effort on our part. The result is that this enabling power will have such an impact on us that our level of holiness will rise. This is why increasing our faith through reading the scriptures is more important. The more faith we have, the more frequently we will access this enabling power of the atonement. Just one more thought here. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, we learn that by inviting the Lord's chastening into our lives, that it will allow us to be partakers of his holiness and yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness within us. In order to become holy, we must be able to endure God's chastisement, for it helps us to become holiness. It helps us to become holy. Holiness comes because of the enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. When we are chastised or we face opposition, it only causes us to drop to our knees in search of relief. And you see, as we find strength in the atonement of Christ and tap into that strength and enabling power, we can become more holy. Our access to the atonement always comes through the Holy Ghost. Perhaps this is why the Holy Ghost is called holy, because by and through his influence, we are made to become more holy and more sanctified. Holiness is available to us all. It is a free gift through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Perfecting the saints is all about becoming more like the Savior. May we each consider how the scriptures and the temple and the strengthening power of the atonement might be helpful to us in our own change journey. May we each, as the closing line in the hymn, More Holiness Give Me Says, petition the Lord that we may become more blessed and holy, more Savior like Thee. That concludes episode 18. Thank you again for listening. I hope that in some small way, this nutcast has encouraged all of us to strive for more holiness in our lives. Until next week, keep the faith.